It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Tom Brady, who did not have a good end to his season, just went off with a fusillade of F-bombs. So here's the context. He's on his Sirius XM show. He does a weekly show with the co-host, Jim Gray, the veteran sportscaster, one of the most polite and gentlemanly people you will ever meet in the media, in sports, just about anywhere. So naturally, Jim Gray has got to ask him the question. And listen to how politely it's phrased. Tom, you're leaving everybody guessing. You said you'd take your time. Do you have any kind of timetable as to what you might want to do regarding your football career? Boom. Brady. Jim, if I knew what I was going to effing do, I'd have already effing done it, okay? Silence for four seconds. Jim Gray didn't back down. I sense you're antagonized by the question. It's the only question everyone wants to hear. And Brady then sarcastically said, well, thank you for asking the question. You know, if Jim Gray doesn't ask the question, then he's just a shell. He has to ask. And look, Brady, obviously it's too soon for him to decide. He decided pretty soon after the ending of last season to retire. Then he unretired. I don't know what he's going to do. You read conflicting accounts. But if you were a journalist and you're on with Tom Brady, you ask the question. And by the way, Tom Brady's been around long enough and had so many winning seasons and so many accolades and so many Super Bowl rings that he ought to be able to deal with that without just going off. Pope Francis, this is interesting, was interviewed by the AP, and he decided to criticize laws that criminalize homosexuality, calling those laws unjust, saying God loves all his children, and calling on Catholic bishops to welcome LGBTQ people into the church. Being homosexual isn't a crime, said the Pope. And he acknowledged that in some parts of the world, Catholic bishops do support these laws that criminalize homosexuality. He, the Pope did refer to homosexuality as a sin. So this is not, although he certainly has expressed great tolerance, more so than any of his predecessors, for people who happen to be gay, He is not changing Catholic Church doctrine on this, but he did say the Catholic Church should do what it can to put an end to these laws. It must do this. It must do this, said the Pope. Uh, And saying again that gay people must be welcomed and respected. Now, that is just sending certain signals, uh, I think, about how the Pope feels on this subject, which is a very fraught subject within the Catholic Church. But when you, it's one thing to deal with church doctrine. It's another thing that you, where you could actually be imprisoned for the sin of loving somebody of the same sex. Um, you may remember uh, some, I guess it's a few months ago now, uh, Fox News was pushing the idea, Rupert Murdoch was pushing the idea of combining or recombining, I should say, the two different parts of the Fox empire. One part is Fox News Media, which is basically the television channel, Fox Business, and other assorted assets left over from the sale to Disney. 
And the other part is News Corp, which is basically the print assets, and most notably the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Post, and, and others. And the idea that 10 years ago they wanted to create something that would do different, two different companies that could thrive. Now the argument that was made was that there would be more synergies if it would go back to being one company. Well, there was a lot of resistance to big shareholders. And yesterday, Rupert Murdoch and his son, Lachlan Murdoch, announced that they were dropping the idea. They were no longer going to try to bring back a merger or recombination of Fox News Media and News Corp. I mean, the general consensus is that with the television stations, uh, Fox Media has a stronger portfolio than in print, where obviously everyone knows print is having its problems. But anyway, that has now been dropped. Meanwhile, DirecTV, as of, I guess, just midnight last night, has dumped Newsmax. And for the conservative channel Newsmax, that was a, a very important means of distribution. This is the second time DirecTV has done this. I believe earlier it dumped OAN, One American News. And you can argue it's political or whatever, but DirecTV has a right to decide who it wants to do business with. Uh, and clearly a setback for Newsmax. I am glad to see that the Biden administration will now be sending Abrams tanks to Ukraine. This is not officially announced. It will be probably today, but it was officially leaked, which is just about the same thing. And there was this sort of kabuki dance going on with Germany because Germany wanted to provide the brave Ukrainian fighting forces with their top tank, are called leopards, but didn't want to do it if the Americans weren't going to do it. So it's like, you first. No, you first. And they denied that the two things are linked, and it's complete bull. They're totally linked. And what I don't understand is, whether it's Abrams tanks or Patriot missiles, it always seems like the U.S. and its allies uh, are playing catch-up, are giving Ukraine these weapons. Well, then, then you have to be trained on, of course. Um long after they should have gotten them because we're nearing the one-year anniversary of the war. Once the winter is over, there will be a major offensive again, probably by both sides. And Ukraine needs advanced weaponry to be able to deal with the Russian military machine. And in the past, it's always been, well, you know, if we give Abrams tanks the Ukrainians, or if we give Patriot missiles to Zelensky, we could be provoking Moscow. Well, what worse would Moscow do? They're already, you know, routinely bombing infrastructure, apartment buildings, wantonly killing civilians. Isn't it about time we worried? And I understand, you know, some people don't want an endless blank check here. But this is not just a battle for one country. I mean, this is a battle about whether Vladimir Putin will be rewarded for naked aggression, for war crimes, for invading a sovereign country. And it's about time that Ukraine had the means with which to fight back. A bunch of media layoffs keep happening. I meant to mention yesterday, Spotify is the latest saying it's laying off 6% of its staff. I've already talked about Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, which is Google's parent company, you know, all these people, you just go on your Twitter feed. If you're on Twitter, you will see people advertising they've lost their jobs. Now the Washington Post uh, 
has cut um, about 30 jobs, 20 of them in the newsroom. The executive editor, Sally Busby, saying in a memo it was a very difficult decision. Um, they're also pulling the plug on something called Launcher, a gaming vertical I was not aware of, but apparently was not a big hit. Um, you know, years and years ago when I was at the Post, there were voluntary buyouts. And you would sort of get the impression that maybe your star was not rising in the newsroom. You should take these buyouts uh, because you got a much more attractive package than if you were just laid off. But now nobody has the time or patience to do that, so it's just layoffs. And people who don't like to post are going to say, see, it doesn't work. But, you know, every media company I can think of is having problems. By the way, Jeff Bezos was at the Post a few days ago uh, meeting with his leadership team. I'm sure this is a subject that was on the agenda, and that's properly so. He's the owner of the paper. There's been speculation, and it's just speculation, which is why I haven't even bothered to mention it, that Bezos wants to buy the Washington Commanders, the NFL team formerly known as the Redskins, and therefore sell the post. Well, for one thing, I don't know that those two things are necessarily connected. He's got lots of money, the $250 million. He personally paid for the Washington Post, uh, didn't break the bank for Bezos. And, you know, he would probably be part of a group that was going to buy the commanders. And I think the much reviled owner, Dan Snyder, is not going to sell a majority share of his football team anyway. So I'm not so sure that this is happening. Oh, I can't resist this one. I just can't. Because everybody's got some version of, as the New York Post puts it, he must be over the moon. Buzz Aldrin just turned 93 years old. And the astronaut celebrated his birthday by marrying his longtime girlfriend, who is just a very young, 63 years old. Buzz Aldrin, of course, the second person right behind Neil Armstrong to walk on the moon. And he's on Twitter and he tweeted it out and said, we are as exciting as a loping teenager. As excited as a loping teenager, 93 years old. You know, God bless him. Um, as promised, Kevin McCarthy has bounced both Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the Intelligence Committee. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, didn't want to give up without a fight, so he put them on the committee, made McCarthy take them off. McCarthy sent a letter saying, uh, I cannot put partisan loyalty ahead of national security. I cannot simply recognize years of service as the sole criteria for membership on this committee. Integrity matters more. And, you know, Schiff and Swalwell have both put out statements saying this is, is petty and this is payback and I didn't do anything wrong. But, you know, you know who started this. It was Nancy Pelosi who started this. It was the Democrats who started this. So it may well be payback. But at the same time, um, it's not the Republicans who set this precedent. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, story number one. Mike Pence joins the club, the Sloppy Classified Documents Club. As first reported by CNN, uh, and now everybody's got it, a lawyer for the former vice president, said because of all what's going on with Biden and Trump, uh, they did a little search and found, oh, a small number, I think it's about a dozen, classified documents at Pence's Indiana home. And as with Joe Biden, you know, contacted the FBI, contacted the National Archives, um, 
and gave the FBI permission to conduct the search. So um, there's a statement here out of an abundance of course, uh, caution, excuse me. Vice President Pence engaged outside counsel with experience handling classified documents to review records stored in his personal home, and on and on. Now, what's happening here is that it's all become normalized now. I mean, I think Pence is the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, first you have Donald Trump in a very different situation. You know, first claiming that he mentally declassified these documents. Secondly, saying he's entitled to these documents, taking hundreds of documents to Mar-a-Lago, claiming he gave back all his classified documents. And then after the FBI raid, which is now being portrayed by uh, Trump partisans, and understandably so, is perhaps an overreaction to a dispute over classified papers, um, another hundred classified documents discovered at his Florida state. Then along comes Biden, who's now um, one writer of Politico nicknaming him Sloppy Joe. You get the double entendre, I'm sure. I mean, Sleepy Joe was Donald Trump's 2020 nickname for the now president of the United States. But Sloppy Joe, uh, when you look at how badly the Biden team has mishandled this, with stuff leaking out, sitting on it for two months without adequate explanation, and on and on and on, all the things I've been talking about, that already by itself, I think, kind of guaranteed that there will be, in the end, no charges, no criminal charges brought against Donald Trump. But now that you have Pence uh, becoming, as I say, part of this club, um, you could feel the conventional wisdom shifting. I think for a lot of people out there, this is just another beltway flap, and that's, that's how it will now be viewed. Too many papers are classified. It's too easy to get into trouble. Why do we have, you know, obviously there's some things that need to be absolute top secret. But, you know, when you're talking about in the case of Pence, I guess, as uh, the stuff would be at least two years old, in the case of Biden, at least six years old, and possibly much more since now there are, uh, is an admission of uh, classified documents from his Senate days. The former president saying Mike Pence is an innocent man. He never did anything knowingly dishonest in his life. Leave him alone. Interesting because some wags are saying, well, when Pence wanted to follow the law, um, Donald Trump didn't do anything to save him from that mob. And now that Pence is at least in an accidental breach of the law, uh, the former president coming to his defense. Here's Lindsey Graham, this is interesting, saying yesterday he doesn't believe Biden or Trump or Pence took classified documents to their private homes to, quote, intentionally compromise national security. And I think that's how most Americans feel. You know, there has been no smoking gun. Uh, is it bad? Is it the disrespect for the law? Sure. But it just, when you look at the Fuhrer, and part of this is, be, is because Trump fought it and the Biden DOJ had to go to court and get an order to do that search. But now it just looks like very different. It looks like everybody does it. I can see the average American just shrugging his or her shoulders and saying, yeah, they all do it. They're all sloppy. Not a big deal. It's not worth sending somebody to jail over. And that's been Trump's argument all along. This is just a classification dispute, blah, blah, blah. So I think the Pence revelation kind of seals it. Because who knows how many other high-ranking officials have this stuff sitting in their garage or, I don't know, 
under the cushions of their couch, um, behind the spices in the kitchen cabinet, wherever, right? Okay, story number two. I think the noose is starting to tighten for George Santos, you know, well beyond all of the um, entertaining, interesting, unbelievable, slap your forehead, lies upon lies upon exaggerations that he has told. Now we're getting to the money. And the money is where he's going to have this problem. And I've always felt this. So Santos amended his campaign finance reports yesterday because it is against the law to lie about your finances on a report that you're submitting to the feds and all candidates for national office do this. And now he says, guess what? That $500,000 loan that he gave to his campaign as a personal loan, uh, didn't come from his personal funds. Nope. Turns out it's a little bit different. But the amended filing didn't say, where did this money come from? So he's trying to walk it back here. And there's a box you have to check. It says personal funds of the candidate as the source of a loan, if you took a loan. And now the box is unchecked. So that's a lot of money, half a million dollars. There's actually supposedly about $700,000 that came into his campaign. Where did that money come from? This is where I think uh, Santos is going to have a real problem. And then there was another form that was amended uh, involving a $125,000 loan from the candidate. But that also did not now come from his personal funds and no enlightenment on where this may have come from. So now you see this is undoubtedly in consultation with his lawyers trying to figure out how he stays out of legal trouble if he, A, use corporate money to fund his campaign, which if you don't disclose it, even that is a, is a violation. It clearly can be a criminal violation. And um, also, you know, trying to say, well, I made a mistake on my form, or at least I amended it. Um, So a watchdog guy, quoted by the Daily Beast, says, this is still reporting that the 500,000 came from Santos. Uh, Santos should come clean and disclose where the money really came from. He can't just uncheck a box and make his legal problems go away. Meanwhile, the Washington Post interviewing people who... uh, Santos pitched on this Harbor City Capital Fund uh, inconveniently for the uh, now congressman from Long Island. Um, It turns out that the SEC, and I've mentioned this if you followed it, says it's a Ponzi scheme. This was soon after Santos left. Santos hasn't been charged. It's possible he didn't know it was a Ponzi scheme, but interesting to talk to the people who he tried to recruit. So there's one guy named Christian Lopez, Santos took him to a restaurant in Queens. And Christian Lopez is a guy who was in a horrible car accident and got a check for $2 million as a result of this drunk driving incident, which caused him severe injuries. And he, Lopez, on the record, is telling the Washington Post about the pitch. He says, I felt like we were in Goodfellas, like we were in a mafia movie. He was saying, if you give me $300,000, I am going to make you money. I am going to make you $3 million. Um, in a couple of instances also, 
Santos inflated his own academic or professional credentials. So they've got these Zoom meetings, which were recorded, and they show the things that Santos was saying to kind of portray himself as a player. So, for example, during a meeting in 2020, Santos claims, in kind of a self-deprecating anecdote, that while he was in the office of Stephen Schwartzman, who is the CEO of Blackstone and a billionaire private equity investor, I actually sat on a chair uh, the day of the signing of the deal, and I flipped backwards, flipping the table on the chief executive. I flipped the table on Schwartzman. I walked out of there feeling like a completely incompetent idiot. Uh, all very heartwarming, except for the fact that a Blackstone spokesman says Schwartzman has no recollection of any such incident or meeting, Mr. Santos, and we have found no record of Mr. Santos having a business relationship with Blackstone. So that's what's going on here. You know, he just drops a lot of names to see, make it seem like he's hanging out with the rich folks, with the elite, with the, uh, the billionaire crowd. And that's part of the pitch, as well as I will give you a tenfold return on your money. This is where it gets serious, folks, and where it's not just uh, funny. You know, I've said many times, I think this uh, the whole George Santos saga would be a great movie, but I now think it's too much for a movie. I think it should be an entire series on Netflix or Prime Video or wherever, because you could just go on and on and on about meeting new people and telling new lies and maybe escaping this one and the next one comes. It's just, it's too good to just limit to, you know, a 90 minute or two-hour movie. Yesterday, story number three, there was a Senate hearing on the Ticketmaster fiasco, more specifically on the Ticketmaster debacle involving Taylor Swift. And I think there's no fewer than three members of Congress, there may be more, who had their staffs write them cute little lines for their statements uh, referencing Taylor Swift songs, which doesn't by itself make you hip. What's the matter with you people? So, basically, you had the head of a small competitor called SeatGeek testifying that Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which were allowed to merge uh, despite the potential for antitrust abuse back during the Obama administration, and I think in retrospect that was a real mistake, uh, the SeatGeek guy says they should be broken up. It's the only effective remedy. Um, and so this combined company, it's now called Live Nation Entertainment, uh, has been accused of threatening venues that don't use Ticketmaster, saying you won't be able to get access to the acts promoted by Live Nation, like nice little concert venue you have here. If you don't work with us, we not only break your legs, but you can't get the big acts that are represented by Live Nation. Here's Jerry Mickelson, Chicago-based music promoter. When speaking with people who either own or manage venues, their biggest fear is that when they leave Ticketmaster, they will lose control. Whether it's said or not, it's implied. If I don't use Ticketmaster, I'm not going to get all the shows I would like to have. Company also blamed for charging fees, which can make up 25% of the cost of the ticket. Now, all this, of course, is because of Taylor Swift and the complete absolute um, fiasco of how people who were sort of entitled to tickets waited hours and hours and hours online and never got the tickets, how people who weren't entitled to tickets did get them, um, just, the, just the endless um, digital frustration 
of trying to just buy a, a couple, even at, at very high prices, a couple of Taylor Swift tickets. So Joe Berktold, who is the chief financial officer of Live Nation slash Ticketmaster, said, oh, no, no, we don't threaten anybody. That doesn't happen. He apologized, however, and this has happened before, but you go to before uh, all of these uh, members of Congress and you got to do that. We were hit three times. We were hit with three times the amount of bot traffic that we've ever experienced. That's what led to a terrible consumer experience, which we deeply regret. We apologize to the fans. We apologize to Ms. Swift. We need to do better, and we will. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal uh, praised Berkthold for a stunning achievement. He said, you've brought together Republicans and Democrats in an absolutely unified cause. Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem, it's me. Another Taylor Swift lyrical reference. So is anything going to be done as a result of this hearing? I mean, I'm glad the senators of both parties are shining the spotlight on what appears to be a virtual monopoly. But I don't know whether anything will change. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number four. This is one of those things where you see a headline that says shock poll. And any poll involving the 2024 presidential race can't really be a shock because it is so early in the process. And by the way, I just saw a CNN headline saying Biden's approval rating, I don't know if it was an average of polls or not, hadn't really been affected by the classified document brouhaha, thereby reinforcing the notion that this is a lot more interest a lot more interesting to the gang of 500, to Beltway Insiders, the Politico media complex, than this to average Americans. But there is this poll now, Emerson College, which is a pretty respected polling outfit, says that in a matchup between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, 44% back Trump, 41% back Biden. 10% want someone else, 4% undecided. And that is about a seven-point swing because in the November edition of the Emerson poll, Biden held a three-point lead over Trump. Now, first of all, a three-point lead, whether it's technically within the margin of error or not, is almost a statistical tie. So what this says to me was, they were almost statistically tied in the last Emerson poll. They're almost statistically tied now. But obviously, it's being seen. Trump's office put this out as good news for the former president. And on this question of the nomination, 55% of Republicans in this Emerson poll say they believe Trump should be the, their party's nominee. Um, 26% lead over Ron DeSantis. I have seen a number of polls now where it's Trump up with, you know, 45 or some figure like that, and then DeSantis is maybe 20 or more points back, and then you have these other people like Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence who are, you know, either in the single digits or just way back. So same poll, 58% of Democrats support Biden as the party's nominee. Um, you know, it's fun to speculate about whether there will even be a rematch. Um, but I think what it drives home is there is this tendency among 
a lot of the national media players to assume that Trump is washed up, that the midterm show, you know, all of his people, most many of his people lost, that he doesn't have the clout that he once had within the Republican Party. I've got to say, and it's not because of this poll, that he's still the odds-on favorite to be the Republican nominee. Now, maybe Ron DeSantis will take him down, or maybe Ron DeSantis will prove to be uh, not the world's warmest or greatest uh, presidential candidate. Maybe Nikki Haley will take off. If they all run, then Trump is definitely going to win the nomination. But, you know, there's this sort of sense of denial. For a long time, it was because, well, obviously, um, the special counsel in the Justice Department is going to recommend um, indictment or indictments against Donald Trump. There's also this case in Georgia, uh, which I want to talk about in just one second. And so the feeling is, you know, Trump is a spent force, except if he is the nominee and he's running against an 82-year-old Joe Biden, maybe that won't be the case, um, it's not impossible that he could win. I'm just saying it's not impossible. Does he have a, a lot of baggage and a lot of people who maybe have voted for him in the past don't want another four years of Trump as president? Yeah. But stranger things have happened. Look at 2016. So uh, the Fulton County DA, that's Atlanta, Fannie Willis, had this special grand jury. And it's just completed its review. And never talked to Trump or his lawyers. But clearly, uh, Rudy Giuliani and others are, you know, in the crosshair, shall we say, of this special grand jury. And now there was a hearing yesterday about whether the grand jury's report should be made public. And the DA comes in and says, no, we should not make this public because um, I have to decide whether to charge people. And this would be unfair to potential defendants. Originally, I thought, well, special grand jury wrapping up, nobody's going to be charged because otherwise they'd be indictments. The way it works in Georgia is the special grand jury can't indict anybody, but Fannie Willis can now charge or uh, impanel a new grand jury that can, that can charge anybody. And they were talking about this on CNN, and uh, a report by the New York Times was brought up saying prosecuting Trump would likely raise fears of fresh violence on his behalf. Ms. Willis has already had staffers on the case outfitted with bulletproof vests. Wowza. Um, and Maggie Haberman said, it speaks to the moment we're in now, as the political violence that was expected right after January 6th nationally happened. No, but there is that cloud of it constantly. So... This is getting into the realm of taking precautions and speculation. Um, I don't know whether the Georgia District Attorney, the Atlanta District Attorney for Fulton County, um, is going to bring charges or not, but it sounds like a decision is imminent. And once again, the people who think that Donald Trump, this includes many media people, many liberals, um, should be in jail are going to be gravely disappointed if Fannie Willis does not bring charges against the former president. However, compared to the situation that Merrick Garland's special counsel finds himself in, I think it's more likely that something would happen in Georgia because remember, that's where there's a phone call, I need you to find me 11,780 votes. You know, there's certainly evidence 
of possible tampering with state election process. But I always take these things with a grain of salt. We don't know what happens behind closed doors, what the grand jury testimony is, and whether or not it's Trump or maybe some of his associates who might be in legal trouble. And number five, this comes out of a Wall Street Journal column, an interview with Dana Carvey, the uh, very funny impersonator and comedian who famously portrayed George H.W. Bush on Saturday Night Live. Wouldn't be burden. Not going to happen. He's asked about Biden. And Dana Carvey was pretty honest. He says, liberal comedians feel like they're in a vice grip, caught between their own political views and wanting to get laughs. Used to be you just got laughs, right? Has politics gotten so serious and so entrenched that we have something bigger than our jokes right now, says Dana Carvey. Some comedy writers feel like they can't do something that will sabotage their party and let the bad guy, you can figure out who that is, get leverage. I don't think that any of this is spoken out loud. It's just obvious. Uh, A year ago, Carvey said he asked some of Stephen Colbert's writers, I mean, that's got to be the most anti-Trump show in late night at CBS, if Biden was a Republican, do you think we would go at him harder? Their response was, that's a really interesting question. Translation, yes. And so this is sort of what's wrong with comedy that, you know, so many of these shows, and you look at, you go down the list, and, you know, Samantha Bee no longer has her show, but Seth Meyers, Kimmel, uh, certainly Colbert, um, you know, they pull punches. They're openly rooting for Biden. They interview Biden on their show. They hate Trump. Okay, that's the new model. It used to be, if you were Jay Leno, certainly if you were Johnny Carson, Letterman was a little bit more obviously left-leaning, but you would just simply make fun. You wanted to appeal to a mass audience. That's less true these days, too, in the age of digital clips and everything. And so you'd just go out and you'd make fun. I mean, Jay Leno would make fun of you know Bill Clinton running, jogging, and then getting a large fries at McDonald's, that kind of thing. Um So it's a safe way to protect Joe Biden if they make fun of his age or him being confused. Yes, I know they do a little bit of it on SNL, but come on, it's pretty gentle. It's pretty mild stuff. I'm not saying that, you know, Biden is the world's greatest comedic target, but the fact that they kind of acknowledge and Dana Carvey acknowledges that they're holding back for fear of damaging the octogenarian president against the bad guy kind of says it all about what's happened with comedy. Like, even comedy has become, there's conservative comics and there's liberal comics. Um, So I can tell you, you know, I miss the days when you had comedians who would take wax at all the prominent politicians. But that's like saying, you know, I miss the days of the horse and buggy. We're not going back to those days. We are in a hyper-partisan environment, and even comedy has suffered. Once again, I've always appreciated the chance to talk to you at length without having to you know, hit a hard break for commercials. Hope you uh, have enjoyed the show. And I say, I got a whole bunch of other things I want to say, but we're kind of out of time. So I'll save them for tomorrow. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. And, you know, Amazon Music is one place you can get this podcast if you're not already a subscriber. You can get it without ads. So we'll see you in just about a day. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. 
Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast, featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.